0: Welcome to Retrofitted. I'm Rebecca Godlove. I've been toying with the idea of other podcasts and projects for a while now. I did have a tragically short-lived show with another Becky, which frankly was a lot of fun and which I would like to resurrect. Uh, if our work-life family balances and obligations align, I don't know what planets have to um, come into alignment for that. I don't know what phase the moon has to be in. I don't know where Leo and Orion need to be in the sky, but I need to check with her because we've got to figure it out and make it happen. I also had another podcast for a mere two episodes, which I do also still want to work on. Uh, I'm also working on a devotional. And I'm also helping to edit and beta read novels and works by some other aspiring writer friends of mine. And the thing is, I work part-time from home. I make my own hours. Um, My children are both in school all day. So actually, this should not be too difficult a thing to manage, right? Unfortunately, I am one of many, many elder millennials who is addicted to social media. I admit it. I'm not proud of it but why do I even do it? I ask myself because it devours my time and gives me rather little in exchange. I mean, okay, cat videos are basically always worth it. And I'm gonna pause really quickly right here and recommend that you stop listening for just a moment and go online. If you're not online right now, get on to Facebook, get on to Instagram and go search and follow at Pixel and Sophie. It is a cat uh, appreciation page who which is run by their... Um, their people mom, their person mom, who is my uh, internet uh, celebrity twin. We're actually, we have the same birthday and I'm getting nothing. This is not paid. This is not an ad. I just really, really think that you will enjoy these cats. It's very wholesome. It's very funny and cute. And everyone um, needs that in their lives, especially with the world being what it is right now. So at Pixel and Sophie, go find them. You're welcome. Anyway, Updates from family and friends are worthwhile. I love to be able to celebrate you know, um, seeing a pregnancy announcement after someone who had been dealing with infertility. That's wonderful. Starting a new job or even getting out of a job that wasn't right for you, getting out of a relationship that wasn't right. These are all great things that I can celebrate that I wouldn't know about uh, if not for social media. However, beyond that, uh, it is definitely some flab that I need to cut from my life, so to speak. So as I do that, I will be carving out more and more time to create rather than consume. In fact, that's kind of my theme um, for 2023 is less consumption, more creation. And if you're a person who uh, sort of does the word of the year, I know a lot of my friends in Christian circles do, but I know a lot of people outside them do also. My word for 2023 is no. Kind of goes along with the consent issue we talked about last episode. I am doing my best this year to, uh, instead of jumping on projects and uh, saying yes, I am going to stop and I'm going to evaluate, is this something that furthers my personal goals? Is this something that benefits my faith-based goals? Is this something that helps me to be a better mother, wife, daughter, you know, you insert whatever I need to be here? And if it's not, I am learning to say, I need to think on that, please. Or... Another one that I've heard is very good is, your project sounds amazing. I'm not able to contribute the time and effort that it deserves. I love that one. So please, if you're actually in my, like my IRL circle of friends, uh, you'll be hearing that a lot this year. Um, so get used to it. Now, listen, listen. No, thank you. I'm sorry. I'm not able to. No. There, I'm, I'm practicing. I'm practicing. And anyway, this is sort of a long, long roundabout way of me apologizing to you for taking so long between episodes because I've probably been held hostage reading clickbait uh, about Bridezilla stories or entitled in-laws, which by the way, my in-laws are lovely and not entitled people. Um, But it was my own doing. It was a cage of my own doing. And so I'm stepping back from that. But I encountered something Um, Thoroughly thought-provoking in a good way on my Facebook feed uh, several months ago, and it actually led me to some very valuable self-reflection. My church, although considered fairly small to medium, um, we are fortunate enough to frequently host uh, well-known guest speakers, including authors, missionaries, ministers, other church leaders. And many years ago, we hosted a gentleman by the name of J. Lee Grady, uh, he goes by Lee Grady and he is the former editor of Charisma, which is a Christian magazine. He became a very loyal friend to the church family and visits us regularly, maintains solid, healthy relationships with a lot of the young guys in our church. Uh, he serves as a mentor to many of them. And just an all-around really humble, good guy. Very um, he's not affected. He's not about, you know, he's not about himself. Uh, And I think of all the voices in the evangelical slash Pentecostal slash charismatic slash spirit-filled slash born-again arena today, uh, I feel that I can actually say in confidence that his voice, to me, most echoes the voice of Jesus. Now, I need to make it clear that I'm not idolizing or fawning over Mr. Grady. He's just a very down-to-earth guy, and he happens to be a Christian man who is using his privilege as a middle-class white man in America uh, to be an advocate for women in ministry and for women's rights, and uh, especially in nations where women are seen as second-class citizens or worse. Um, he has several um, several organizations, one of which is called Mordecai's House, which you know, takes women basically off the streets or... You know out of unhealthy situations in third world countries um and teaches them crafts and skills and helps them get back on their feet to have their own businesses um i know there are many organizations like that but i'm just you know confirming that th- he doesn't it do it's valuable it's valid and it's very very important um he does preach a very practical sensible but such but scripturally sound doctrine excuse me i can't talk today it's evident to me Uh, that his desire really is to to just be like Jesus and to teach others how to be more like Jesus. Uh, He's written many books, but for me, I really enjoy when he releases his really short, simple, hard-hitting blogs and essays on his Facebook page and website. Uh, Most often, they are thoughtful reflections on current events, and each one kind of reminds me that there is a loving, godlike way to respond to all things, whether we agree with them or not, Um, and we don't ever have to take that uh, trolling in the comments section route. It's not necessary. Recently, he wrote and shared his thoughts on the deconstruction movement. How timely for me. I gritted my teeth when I first saw the article, and I I, I did hesitate before clicking the link. I didn't know, would this, be, would this be the first time where I really sort of depart ways from agreeing with him, um, or would this be something that, you know, snaps me back in line and helps me, quote unquote, get over my spiritual confusion, as it were. The article itself was not really incendiary, uh, but he did mention a lot of good points. Um, And the thing is, for many people right now, the goal of deconstruction is not to have a better understanding of it, but to make it feel better, to make it fit today's societal standards, or to abandon it completely because it just doesn't work anymore. Uh, a lot of deconstructionists pick uh pick the faith apart like meat off a bird, and then their goal is to actually reveal to the world this you know scrawny useless skeleton of a dead religion. So I commented on the article, stating respectfully, well that uh what I've been telling you um, that my journey of deconstruction has been one in which I have stepped away from the labels of camps of names and just tried very much to discover to rediscover rather the heart of Jesus through the study of history, through the research of the original biblical text and the original context in which biblical um, passages were written and to sort of slough away the layers and layers of tradition, uh, unnecessary expectations, corruption and manipulation so frequently exploited by the church as an institution and as an industry. Mr. Grady responded within minutes. His reply brought tears to my eyes in the best possible way. He did confirm that I am most definitely not alone in my goals for this quest. uh, But for people like me, whose desire is a better understanding of God, Jesus, and the intention of the Bible, um, he doesn't consider the process deconstruction. He suggested that it be called renovation instead. And I love that. I am not looking to bulldoze the whole house and start from the ground up. I am not looking to take down the bricks and rearrange them or use them to build something that I like. Uh, Instead, I'm trying to get past all the thorny landscaping, the ornate and unnecessary tapestries and candelabras and 15 ballrooms and all the extra rooms in the house that Christ built because the foundation and the framework aren't the problem. In fact, they are perfect as they were. The strong, unshakable foundation of Jesus as a solid rock. Now, here's the thing about the church that Christ built. It's one room. The house or church that Christ built was a single room created to be open to all, to be shared by all. All can dine in the same room at the same table. All can receive the same benefits from a loving father. All can be seen as equals, regardless of skin color, age, ethnicity, talents, wealth, or almost any other way you can categorize people. This is the house and the church that Christ built. The problem is, over the years, the church has added on more rooms, many of which became inaccessible without certain keys, those keys being connections, the right family, the right name, wealth, an overt display of piety, or the right kinds of prayers. And the problem was the rooms that were open to everyone became dark and dingy and unwelcoming. Or... They were so gilded and ostentatious that they were more inspiring than the Lord they were supposed to honor. This house had become less about sharing the incredible life-giving work of Jesus on the cross, and it became more about gatekeeping. I said it. Yes, even around this house, this castle now that resembles very little uh, the church that Christ built, A moat was built, a moat that discouraged many from even approaching the place. The idea was to keep away the undesirables and not invite them in. Where Jesus had taken meals with despised tax collectors, had respectful, insightful conversations with scandalous foreign women, and was even touched by and touched unclean, contagious, and otherwise unwanted members of Jewish society, this new castle, having sprawled comfortably through the Middle East and twisted up through Italy and Greece and France and Spain and Eastern Europe as well. It was growing more magnificent, but the problem was it was emptied out of the very people who most needed the comfort of God. The drawbridge was pulled up and the vast wealth of the treasuries were reserved for the ruling class. The rule book was re-examined and New Testament mercy and forgiveness was, for some reason, scratched out. Somewhere along the way, someone or a group of someones shuffled back through the Old Testament and determined that the best way to deliver God's message was through wrath and threats and domination, through forced conversion, through torture and exploitation, through violence and deceit. They became selfish with God's grace, refusing to extend it to minorities, to women, to the Moors, to the Jews, to unmarried mothers, to the unexpectedly pregnant, to the ones who didn't fit their rigid rules of Christianity, or rather their rigid rules of church expectations. By now, we know a thousand times over that the Salem witch trials and their sister incidents all across Europe were ultimately not about witchcraft. They were about power. They were about weeding outliers from the community. They were about the power of the church. And even further than that, the power struggles of men and women within the church. They were about the manipulation and the preservation of image above all. Listen, spectral evidence was admitted. Now, if you don't know what that means, it literally means people saying that they saw a ghost do something. Spectral evidence was admitted over the testimony and physical evidence offered by actual living human beings. Those who admitted to practicing witchcraft often did so after horrific torture and i can't detail most of it because my episodes are not cleared for explicit content but the least terrifying method used was dunking in which a supposed witch was held underwater for a specified period of time she was released or he was released because there were males accused of witchcraft too just long enough to catch a breath during that brief respite the accused was supposed to confess if they didn't the ordeal continued if they did confess the ordeal continued there was no way out of the dunking if you drown it was because you deserved to die or because you were innocent and god was saving your soul you literally could not win i won't go further into the salem witch trials first because i don't have the time here and second because aaron menke on his podcast unobscured spent the entire first season diving impossibly deep, and I mean Marianas trench deep, into the history of the trials. And that is where you need to go if you want more about them, including the details and um, specifications of the lives and deaths of the accused. Um, he's very sympathetic towards these individuals. And I think it's way, way, way past due um, for these people to be more than names and for us to learn more about where they stood in society and why they were treated the way they were treated. But I have to mention it here, um, and that's because it is one of the clearest forms of people representing the church intentionally and repeatedly causing panic, fear, pain, paranoia, harm, death, and segregation. It represents a system headed by the church in which lies are rewarded, differing viewpoints are punished, and women especially in every strata of society were at risk of losing everything, including their homes, families, and lives. Death and torture were just an accusation away, and many of those accusations were made by children. Now, I need you to be clear. this is None of this (laughs) is behavior that Jesus ever exhibited during his time on earth. In fact, the only people afraid of him were the ones who actually killed him, so dare I say it, he actually had more in common with the accused witches of Salem than he did with the religious leaders there. Ouch. The New Testament actually shows something similar. Um, it shows the healing of a young woman who was called a seer. The implication is that this was a young lady, a slave, who was making money hand over fist for her masters, and she was apparently able to predict the future um, because she was possessed by a demon. Um, predicting the future is often in in the Bible considered Associated with witchcraft, sorcery, and these are these are forbidden. So in this young lady's case, she's possessed by a demon, um, which arguably is like worse than witchcraft. I don't know if like there's a scale for this, but like it's it's pretty rough. Um so here's the thing, though. Paul did not have her burned at the stake. She was not tortured because of her association with the demon and with sorcery and witchcraft and fortune telling. She was not tortured she was not punished she was not condemned she was not set apart to live with others she wasn't punished in any way she was actually with prayer set free of the possession and given back her life and her right mind now she was probably very likely relieved uh, as her masters were very likely running her ragged because i mean if you've got a girl that can predict the future you can make tons of money um of course they were angry very angry because she was no longer able to provide money for them So, a little different than the witchcraft uh, trials. This story is not making profits from demonic possession. Um, But here's the thing it's the subsequent release of the one possessed. And the way that person is treated is not through punishment, torture, or death, but through the power and forgiveness of Christ. So, what I'm trying to say is we have a precedent in the New Testament set for people who associate with powers beyond God's. And it's actually not to kill them. (laughs) I'm not saying that Christians should support things that are forbidden in the Bible, but the way we are to treat these people is actually not to torture and kill them. Um, So there you go. Um, In no way were the Salem witch trials or, again, any of their sister incidents Christian. I do not believe in my heart of hearts that Christ would ever have sat down as jury or judge or executioner in any of these cases. I don't believe that he would have permitted torture. I don't believe that he would have permitted the death. And I don't believe that he would have permitted the ostracism and segregation that was forced on these people because they didn't quite fit what society wanted them to be. Okay. I have probably ruffled some feathers, and that is fine. I don't mind, but if you have been a listener since 2020, you know that this is kind of what I do. This is what I talk about, and this is what's important to me. You know where I'm headed. In the meantime, until the next episode comes out, you can reach me at retrofittedpodcast at gmail.com or download and listen to all three seasons of Retrofitted on anchor.fm, Audible, Stitcher, or Apple Podcasts. Now, this podcast was never meant to be one-sided, me talking at you, so I do invite you to share your thoughts about this or any episode on my Facebook or Instagram page. Just search for At Retrofitted Podcast. Until we chat again, be wise and be well. is Late Night by Ryan Anderson.